is Dr. Georgia Richards. I am an academic, but I'm also a health scientist and an epidemiologist based at the University of Oxford, where I teach in the medical school, evidence-based medicine, research methods, and systematic reviews. I also work outside of academia in industry, where I work as a safety epidemiologist, conducting studies on products and drugs that come to market um, as an independent contractor for AstraZeneca. So that's my day job. And outside of my day job, I have a passion for PFDs. And so that's the work that I'm going to share with you today. And I thank you for all the work you do as coroners in writing the PFDs. So my title of my talk is how we're trying to learn from prevention of future death reports. And to do that, we've created a platform called the Preventable Death Tracker, which tries to make this information more accessible and user-friendly so that lessons can be learned. So I'm certainly not going to give a history lecture on PFDs to a room full of coroners, but I do want to take us back to 10 years ago, in July of 2013, when it was some guidance that came out that allowed PFDs to be published on the public, in the public domain on the judiciary website. Now this was a huge milestone for getting PFDs and the lessons and concerns that coroners were writing out into the public sphere. This was a fantastic milestone and allowed anyone to go on the, onto the website to read this information. But as PFDs started rolling in, it became hundreds of PFDs, and then it became thousands of PFDs every year. So how could this information start to be synthesized so that lessons could be learned from PFDs? I'd like to thank the Chief Coroner's Office, who has recently updated um, the coroner's website, and we're in dialogue and having discussions about how we can continue to do this and to continue to improve how this information um, is shared so it can be analysed and lessons can be learned. Um, but then I'd like to go back to 2018. A few years after this information became available, the first study into PFDs was conducted by friends and colleagues of mine, Professor Robin Ferner, who's based at the University of Birmingham. Him and his colleagues went onto the judiciary website where they looked at a subgroup of 500 PFDs between April 2015 and September 2016. And they started manually screen, they went on and manually, first of all, saved those PDF documents onto their desktop. And then they started screening these PDFs to look for um, PFDs that involved a medicine. And what they found is that 99 PFDs, or 100 deaths, involved a medicine, which meant that one in five PFDs involve a medicine. The most common medicine involved was anticoagulants, followed by opioids and psychiatric medicines. They also concluded that PFDs are a rich source of information, particularly for fatal medication errors and adverse drug reactions. Their final conclusion was that healthcare organisations and professional regulatory bodies could derive wider benefits from the greater awareness of PFDs. So that was in 2018. One year later, they then used that same cohort of 99 PFDs to look at responses to PFDs, to see what actions had been taken to prevent future deaths. Not all those responses were available on the judiciary website, and this could be for various reasons. So after a series of FOI requests, they were able to get 70% of responses to these medicine-related PFDs. 
And what they found was over 200 actions were taken to the 160 concerns raised by corridors. The most common actions taken was that staff education or training um, modules were implemented, followed by changes to processes or policies. And then there was a subgroup of organisations that felt that policies were sufficient um, to address the coroner's concerns. Finally, they conclude that um, the coroner's concerns were of national importance, despite these concerns mostly going to local, um, local being sent to local organisations, local GPs, local hospitals, but they actually had a wider national um, importance that lessons could be learnt. They found that public access to these responses is limited, and they concluded that there was no clear process for how these responses um, came in, um, what actions were actually taken, and whether there was effectiveness in these PFDs in actually reducing preventable deaths. So that work happened between 2018, it was published between 2018 and 2019, and this is where I became really involved and interested in PFDs. At that time, in 2017, I'd migrated from Australia to the UK to come and do my PhD on opioids at the University of Oxford. I was interested in identifying the harms around opioids, the use of opioids in the UK, and really globally. Um, but when I saw Robin and his colleagues present this work in 2018 at a conference, I found that opioids were the, he showed me that the opioids were the second most common drug in these preventable deaths. So I had to go and try and look further at this information to see what I could identify in these PFDs. And when I did that, I tried to replicate what Robin had done using the judiciary website, and I couldn't find all those 99 or all those opioid deaths within that, a within that time frame on the website. So I sat down with a colleague and I wrote just under 3,000 lines of Python code. This is a computer program. It might look scary to you, but it's, it's really simple, I promise you, and it's not scary. And this computer, computer code, which is called a web scraper, it goes onto the judiciary website, it goes into each individual PFD, pulls out the information, automatically saves that in a database, automatically saves the PDF on your desktop, so you have an entire database of PFDs. And why this is really important is, it saves years of time because I was manually saving individual PFDs, which takes hours, months, years. This computer program can run in a few hours and save all the information you need. It can also be rerun many times. So when we do a new study, we can press one button and get a whole updated database of new PFDs that have been published. So the computer program or the web scraper then allowed us to make what, what's called the preventable death tracker, which we launched in 2020. So the preventable death tracker, it's a website that hosts um, this database for anyone to go on to download um, that database and to start searching and using that um, in your inquests or it's being used by now lots of people all over the UK. We also share all of the research that we do, and I'll um, get onto that in a moment. So what is in the database? The database is only, good, only as good as the information available on the judiciary website. So at the moment, it only covers the date of report, the reference, the deceased name, which we anonymize due to sensitive reasons of the deceased family, 
the coroner name, the coroner area, the categorization based on the judiciary website, who the report is sent to, and then a direct URL to that PFD. So since we created that website or that database, since 2018, we've published 20 research articles with many under review, with many ongoing. And this research has covered a wide range of different topics, um, a focus certainly on medicines because we are epidemiologists working in healthcare, but also we've looked at PFDs involving cyclists, PFDs in the city of Cambridge versus Oxford, um, and many other different aspects around patient safety and PFDs. So now I'd like to share with you some of the new research that we've done um, using the database. And I've got three examples. This is the first. It's a complete replication of Ferner et al's paper from 2018. But instead of looking at 500 PFDs, we looked at the total database, which at the time was just under 4,000 PFDs, which dated from July of 2013, once all the information became available on the website, until February of 2022. And what we found is more than 700 PFDs, 716 deaths, where a medicine was involved. So the overall finding of one in five PFD still stands true. But what is the key finding of this research is that this was more than 20,000 years of life lost from medicines that were preventable. The other big finding was that rather than anticoagulants being the most common drug involved, it was actually opioids that were the most reported drug in deaths. Now this was really important because it shows that just looking at a subset of data isn't enough. We need to look at the entire database. And this is at a time where the use of opioids was on the increase in the UK, as well as in places like America and Australia. Um, but it was really important to, to look at the entirety of the data to get this finding. And finally, it was also followed by antidepressants and hypnotics, with the second and third most common medicines involved in deaths. What we also found across these 700 PFDs is that concerns were often repeatedly raised, the same concerns, which is, must be super frustrating for coroners who are spending their time writing PFDs, but changes just aren't being made. Of those repeated concerns, only half of the, of the PFDs had a response available that we could investigate. What we concluded is that if these coroners' concerns were addressed, they could reduce the harms from medicines and reduce these years of life lost from medicines. We also found that there is rich information in these PFDs which could be used in clinical practice to foster a learning environment to help prevent future deaths. On to my second example of the research that we've done. Here is a study that we did looking using the entire database, but just looking at um, PFDs registered or published from January of 2020 until June of 2021 to investigate PFDs during the COVID pandemic. So this was 500 PFDs in total that we screened. And of those 500, there was 23 that, where COVID was implicated in the death. Now, across these 23, half had COVID as a cause of death, and the other half had discussed um, the pandemic as being related to um, outcomes that led to death. And an example of this being a patient that was um, used to see their GP 
regularly to receive their opioids for their opioid addiction. But during COVID, because of lockdowns, they then got a big upfront um, access to a lot of opioid medications and unfortunately overdosed in the pandemic because they weren't able to see um, their GP regularly. They got all of those drugs upfront. So that's sort of where we talk about it was indirectly related to the COVID-19 pandemic. We found that more than 50 concerns were raised by coroners that were about the care of patients in hospitals, in care homes and the community, and it was the issues of communication that were the most common concern raised. We concluded that these PFDs could be or should be addressed during the government's inquiry into the COVID-19 pandemic so that lessons are learned and mistakes are less likely to be repeated. The final example which I wanted to share from our research is looking where we did an analysis um, in summer of last year. I had a, physics, a medical physics student um, who came and joined me for the summer to get some research experience. And they analyzed the whole database from July of 2013 to June when we ran this study. And they were just looking at the variables that were available from the judiciary website. And I'll share these findings with you now. So the first thing we did is we looked at PFDs over time. Looking at PFDs over time, we found that there is a median of just over 400 PFDs that are published every year. But when we look at the number of PFDs per coroner, we find that there's a median of three, coroner, of three PFDs written by every coroner over a period of about nine years. But importantly, as an epidemiologist, we're really interested in variation. Variation helps us identify the problems. So when we look at the variation, we find that actually most coroners write zero, and then there's some extremely busy coroners who are writing more than 100 PFDs. When we look at the top 20 coroners, and I don't know if you can see the names, but if your name's up there. <laughs> when we look at the top 20 coroners, these top 20 coroners represent 30% of all PFDs ever written. So I put this slide in to say thank you. Thank you for all your work that you do. Um, it's extremely valuable, and it's most importantly valuable to the bereaved families who email me all the time to thank me for my work. So thank you for writing these and for ensuring that this information is out there. Getting rid of those names, we'll look at the map. <laughs> <laughs> so when we look at PFDs by England and Wales, we find that Manchester South and Inner North London are the coroner areas that write the most PFDs. And this is important, again, because we like to look at these outliers. At the moment, we can't directly use the data to look at whether these PFDs correlate directly to population density. And that's just because we can't correlate just because someone in the area of, of Birmingham or of Manchester um, hold an inquest and write a PFD. That means that that death occurred in that area. Um, but we can look visually across to say that the population density of England and Wales, we can see it's focused around London. We then have some clusters in Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool. So there are some correlations here between population density, but we do need some better data to really understand this variation in the writing of PFDs, the good and the bad, 
um, to try and understand the picture and so that lessons can be learnt from PFDs. The final aspect we wanted to look at on the, in terms of the variables available with the judiciary information is the categorization of these PFDs. We wanted to see whether this categorization could help us in the research that we do. So what we found is that most PFDs, or 44% of PFDs, are categorized as hospital-related. So then we wanted to use this information in an example of one of our projects. And here is the project of our opioid deaths. So in the light blue is all PFDs, and in the dark blue is the opioid PFDs. And what we found is that if you were to do a research study, if you were interested in opioids, and you went onto the judiciary website, and you went to look for these PFDs, I personally would go into the alcohol, drug, and medication category to try and look for PFDs where an opioid was involved. But what we find is that these opioid PFDs are in nearly all categories across the judiciary website. So at the moment, this categorization process is not fit for purpose when trying to look at trends of PFDs in different categories or different areas of interest. And then what we wanted to do is look at PFDs across the system of all deaths. And here we take an example from 2019. So using data from the Chief Coroner's Office, the Chief Coroner's Report, we know that 40% of all deaths have, are reported to the coroner. Then 15% of those deaths, uh, a post-mortem will occur. And then in 6% of all deaths, an inquest will be held. And finally, we have preventable deaths. Although 23% should be much wider in my triangle, but that tiny red triangle is only 0.1% of all deaths have a PFD written. And what we expect from that 0.1% of all deaths, in this case in 2019, it was more than 500 PFDs, so it was above the median across all the years. We expect that 0.1% of deaths to then go to the recipients that get the PFDs, and we expect action to be taken. We then expect a response within 56 days. We then, as a coroner, I'm not a coroner, but you as coroners, send that information to the chief coroner's office, who then openly publishes that on the website in the hope that it will prevent or reduce preventable deaths. But how many deaths do PFDs really prevent? We don't know. There's no place, there's no system in place to look into these actions. Is action actually taken in this local hospital? Could that action actually taken at a national setting, even a global setting, to prevent future deaths? And who is, whose responsibility is it to follow up after 56 days to get that response? And who's responsible for ensuring actions are taken? So while I can't solve this problem, but I can try and make this information more accessible, more open, and try and ensure that lessons are being learned from all the hard work that you do. So we wanted to see who's actually using. Does anyone actually use the Preventable Death Tracker? All the hours I spend on my weekends and evenings doing all this work. Um, are people using it? And they weren't, don't worry. For most of the time, they weren't. When it launched in 2020, we would get a couple, couple of people visiting. But in August of last year, I got an email from Google Analytics who tells me what you do on my website. And they told me that more than 1,000 people accessed the website just in August. 
And if you know of August in the UK, or in Europe, or in academia particularly, no one works in August. Um, everyone's on holidays. So who are these thousand people that are accessing my website? And then in January of this year, I'm now getting nearly 9,000 people every month looking at the preventable death tracker, which showed there is such a need for this information. People really want to use PFDs, and your work is extremely valuable. Looking at the use over time, as I said, back in July, not many people, a couple of hundred, which I was impressed, a couple of hundred people were looking at the website. And now we're consistently getting up to 9,000 every single month, which overall is about 5,000 people using the tracker every month. So Google Analytics tells me a lot about the, the website, which I explained before, but the one sort of interesting factor or aspect is where are they going on the website? And here, more than 80% or 80% of people that access the website are going to the database, which shows the importance of this data, which shows people are genuinely interested to go and find what's actually happening. And then to end, I want to share who are the users. So these are just some very few examples. I'm often tweeted um, by people to tell, them, tell me when they're using it. So here's an example of an academic who just discovered the database as they were preparing um, to deliver some work for their social, social work master's teaching and wondered how I'd found searching for key factors such as brain injury. The next example is a consultant, an anaesthetist in the NHS, who found the website as they were looking into a PFD report from 2017, even though this was in January of 2023, um, in their role as safety lead in their hospital. They told me about the work that they'd done using web scraping, and they said that what they'd realized is that there is so much data published, but it's at a single time point or a single geographical point, which means that this data is rarely married up to look at trends. And they conclude by saying, what you have done here is really useful and a lot more searchable than the justice side. Thank you. The most common email I get is from journalists. Um, from the BBC, I've had data scientists, lots of journalists contacting me for stories. In this example, they wanted to know if the database internally, from my end, if I was able to search for keywords and wondered if this could potentially help with an investigation. And a final example is from a barrister in London who specialised in coronial law. They came across the preventable death tracker while they were trying to identify statistics on PFDs and they wanted to know if my tracker could help them in establishing the highest number of PFD reports issued by a coroner in a single inquest, and if I happen to know the answer. So, I can't keep up with all these emails, <laughs> but they continue to come in, um, and it is really exciting to see the work that you do, the work that we do, is actually important to thousands of people every month. So to finish, how can we learn lessons from PFDs to reduce preventable deaths? And I have a diagram here to show the ideal scenario. We have all deaths that occurred, some of those reported to the coroner, an inquest may be required, a PFD may be issued, and then actions are taken at a national level to reduce preventable deaths. We then conduct research into that to make sense of all this information. And that research then leads to impact by reducing preventable deaths. So we have five things that we believe 
will help reduce preventable deaths. And the first is to provide an incentive to you to keep writing these reports because they have so much value. The second is to increase training and awareness of PFDs and the lessons that you can get from PFDs. Now, this isn't to say that you will need to go and do many more hours of training, but also the people that actually receive these reports, the NHS, the Department of Health and Social Care, organizations, small individual organizations too, that receive PFD reports. What do they do with them? I'm sure over the last nine years, the NHS has thousands of PFDs. What do they do with these PFDs? How are they learning from these PFDs? So training and awareness is needed to ensure this feedback loop actually means that PFDs have impact. The third is technology. No longer can writing a PFD into a Word document suffice the volume of PFDs that are published every year. Technology can help standardize the reporting. It can help improve data collection, data sharing, data analysis. It can reduce the burden on you as coroners who have to write the report, email the report, follow up on the response, send that information back to the chief coroner's office, who have to then spend lots of time redacting and getting it ready for publication. All of this can be streamlined through electronic purposes. Finally, fun research. We don't know the effectiveness of PFDs. We can certainly find out. Um, we can look to see if over time, these PFDs are actions being taken. How many deaths can we prevent by these PFDs? This research can be done. We can also look at what are the facilitators and barriers to writing and responding to PFDs. What can, we, what can the system do to help you as coroners to continue to, to keep up this work? And finally, we believe that there is a need for a national PFD system that can be used to ensure this feedback mechanism, that PFDs can be audited, they can be analysed, they can be monitored, and that people do respond so that we do know what actions are taken, what actions are not taken, and where these gaps are. But overall, we want to create a culture of learning, not a culture of blame. And who can do this for you? Well, we can. Uh, we can do some of it for you. But we are a team based in Oxford, Birmingham, London. We are epidemiologists, we are scientists, we are academics, we are clinicians, we are clinical pharmacologists, we are pharmacists, we are also coroners. Um, and we all work collectively together to do the more than 20 studies, um, having read more than 4,000 PFDs. Um, but we have done all of this work completely um, outside of our full-time jobs. So I do this work on weekends and on evenings. I also have to credit a lot of the work that has been done by students in Oxford, particularly medical students. And the continual feedback that I get from the medical students, um, who are now, most of them are now junior doctors, who say, I don't want to be in a PFD. Thank you so much for letting me read. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nearly finished, I have one more slide. <laughs> but the medical students and the junior doctors say to me, they don't want to be in a PFD, and they're learning so much from reading your reports. My final slide, I promise you, but I do want to end with why someone like me would like to spend my weekends doing this work. And the second most common email I get is from bereaved families or bereaved family friends. Um, so I'll read this to finish. 
Hi and good afternoon. I just wanted to say I found the preventable deaths tracker recently and can I say thank you. Thank you for caring and for all the hard work. I've been a service user of mental health for decades now, but just recently lost a friend to suicide. We have an inquest with a possible PFD and I'm finding the process really hard to navigate as well as finding legal representation, but your research has helped. Thank you, take care. So this is my mission, this is my why, this is what keeps me going. But I know that we can certainly work together to have a real impact and to make a real difference in preventing future deaths. Thank you.